Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. It's 1 p.m., and it's during the season. That means that we are live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. We're going to be there five days a week. I'll be there on Tuesdays and Fridays doing fantasy content. Uh, Mike, Mike Tanier and uh, Aaron Schatz and others are going to be doing Mondays, Tuesdays, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And then every Tuesday this year, I'm also going to have our buddy Derek Klassen, one of our top guests from our waiver wire discussions last year, becoming in every Tuesday. Derek, so glad to have you. How's it going, man? I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that this is a, a thing we get to do every week now. I mean, you know, we don't have the film, so some mm-hmm. of my insights <laughs> might be a little off this week. Um, but hopefully that'll be back soon and I'm, I'm just ready to get going. But at least you understand how to watch film because <laughs> I'm over here just crunching numbers and stuff. So, I mean, feel free to just call me a nerd throughout every episode as as desired. I mean, we need the yin and yang. Sometimes, you know, my intuition is going to lead me astray. <laughs> it's done it before and it'll do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So the basic nature of the game we're going to play every Tuesday at one is, you know, am I too high or too low? So I have our our waiver wire article for fantasy up on football outsiders. Not sure if it's up quite yet, but it'll be up shortly if it isn't. And in it, I recommend fab bids for players basically saying how much should you spend to try to acquire this player to help your fantasy roster for the the rest of the year. And Derek, you're going to be a good sort of test checker to make sure that I'm not out of uh, like too high, too low on players, that sort of thing, run through a, a series of those guys and try to decide on that. And I think we need to start with, um, the biggest injury-related news maybe of the week, which was that Raheem Mostert um, got knocked out with, I believe, a chipped bone in his knee. It wasn't like an ACL or anything, but still expected to knock him out for the next eight weeks or so, which I think renders six-round rookie Elijah or Eli Mitchell the number one fab pickup of the week. I have him at 62% of your fab spending. Derek, am I too high or too low? I mean, I think you throw everything you have at him, honestly. because I mean, that's I mean, fair, yeah. For a couple of reasons. One, because I mean, one, he just looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he just looked really good. He's incredibly fast. If he gets into space, he's just fantastic. Um, but you also have to remember, like these Kyle Shanahan offenses, he's done a little bit more to mix up his run concepts lately. But he wants to be an outside zone team and he wants those those, you know, runs to hit to the perimeter. Mitchell is obviously really good at that. Um, and I think that is especially true with Mostert now being, you know, sidelined for a couple of months now. So like, he's really the only guy that they have that can really hit the perimeter like that. Yeah. I, you know, Trey Sermon, I think was a healthy scratch and Sermon can do some stuff like in the middle, you know, kind of between the tackles, he's a really tough runner, but I don't think he provides any of what Mitchell does. I think they're just completely different players. So I have a feeling Kyle Shanahan is going to continue using Mitchell pretty much as much as he can get. I mean, traditionally Shanahan has definitely had a type and it's these super, super fast backs Mitchell is definitely that. He ran a 4.3240 time. I think maybe at a pro day, they weren't doing the normal combine stuff last year. But that is the, the famous Raheem Mostert time that I think made him the fastest running back in the NFL, at least by that one measure. Meanwhile, Trey Sermon is bigger, um, but ran a 4.58. So different type of player, as you mentioned. I think I got thrown off the scent. I mean, it seems like everybody did because Sermon was drafted two rounds earlier. But I guess... The main question here is like, is it possible that Mitchell was in there because he's a kick returner, like a like special teams contributor, where if you don't have Mostert healthy, that maybe Sermon's going to be activated from now on? I mean, I think it's that. I think it's also just entirely possible that maybe Sermon just didn't look the way that, you know, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan yeah. wanted him to in camp. And I think Kyle Shanahan is a guy who's not really going to care what he spent on you he's going to just play the best player I think especially at running back when he wants you know very specific things so um I I really don't think that you know draft capital or whatever matters I think it's just 
Mitchell was the better player, and I think they're they're going to continue to play him so long as he's better than Trey Sermon. Yeah, really, Sermon is the only possible like you know wrinkle in this whole situation in my mind because uh, despite the the better plans, Mostert only made it through four snaps. So that kind of left you the whole game to evaluate how much work is he going to get versus how much Jermichael Hasty, the other active running back, was going to get. And it was just all Mitchell. He played 64% of offensive snaps. Hasty played just 29%. Mitchell got 19 carries, ran for 104 yards. I mean, you feel like with the, the Shanahan scheme that pretty much any back getting the majority of the work is going to be really successful. But, you know, maybe you're right. I think I may have undersold it. Mitchell seems like a player that, that maybe you really should spend your entire fab to grab. And the last thing I'll say is just that, you know, we, we knew the Kyle Shanahan offense um, was going to be able to run the ball well, but, and that Lions team is embarrassing. But the one good thing that that Lions team has is a defensive line. Those guys can play. And the fact that they were able to run the way that they did on that defensive line, I think is, is not only encouraging for, for Mitchell, but really just the offense as a whole. Yeah. On, on Twitch, Mr. Jackpots asks, is 70% fab too crazy for Mitchell? I think we clearly are both thinking no. Like, mm-hmm. pl- you know, play to the league specifications a little bit, how much in demand running backs are. But it seems like you and I both think that you may end up with an RB2 for the next eight weeks or who knows? I mean, it, Mostert has been an injury prone player in the past that could end up being like a full season's worth of value there. All right. Next up, this is actually the player that through halftime of the Monday night game, I was penciling in as our top guy to talk about Tyson Williams of the Ravens. But then in the second half, fourth quarter and overtime particularly, he kind of disappeared and I lowered him and lowered and lowered him until I ended up at 36%. It still seemed like he was a very efficient player with nine carries and 69 yards. The Ravens had a really good run blocking line last year, uh, top eight and adjusted line yards. But Latavius Murray was kind of getting in the mix here. Now I'm not really sure what to think of this backfield. What do you think, Derek? Uh, what I would think had happened in that game with the way they, they kind of shifted where their running back carriers were going is I think they realized that running up the middle against the Raiders was kind of the way they needed to play that. I think, you mm-hmm. know, Max Crosby, particularly on the edge, was really good. And I think those linebackers were doing a little bit better job getting to the edge than maybe we had imagined. Um, and just the difference between Murray and, and Williams is that I think Williams is not as clean a runner um, getting up the middle, kind of seeing those sort of things. Um, but if you get him out into space, he's incredibly explosive. He's a really good athlete. Yeah. Whereas Murray is kind of more like you kind of just want to jam him ahead and, and just hope that he's going to break a couple of tackles and, and push the, the pile forward. And you kind of saw that on that, you know, I think that goal line or not goal line, but they, they were inside the 10 yeah. um, that Murray yeah. got. So I think they still want to have those explosive plays with Williams. So I think getting him at, at what did you say, 36% or so, yeah, yeah. I think that's still a totally fine gamble because I think ultimately the way this Ravens offense wants to function is to get explosive plays in the run, especially until Rashad Bateman comes back. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a running back perspective, the bigger risks seem to be with all the other random running backs the Ravens signed to their practice squad and elsewhere. So Trenton Cannon was actually active this game. I think he took one carry. We assume he may be more... Uh, primary special teams guy going forward, given the other options they have. But um, you add Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, both former pro bowlers. I don't know what they have left in the tank about running back years. They're, they're both like 80 years old, but I mean, are either of them a threat to Williams? I mean, you would think Le'Veon Bell in particular is a player that in his prime was a really versatile player contributing as a receiver as well as a rusher. Like, could he be coming in to take Williams work here? Or again, do you think that, that Williams looked really good. It was just like a matchup specific thing here. So the one thing I would say about Bell is not that he's going to be a better runner at this point in his career than Williams, but I think 
if the Ravens really don't trust what they have going on in pass pro right now, mm-hmm. and based on that Raiders game, they probably shouldn't. I yeah. think Bell is actually a better option for what they want to do because, you know, Murray is already a really good pass blocker. That's part of why I think he was getting um, some play. And then Bell, that was kind of what he did in, in Pittsburgh for so long is he was just a fantastic um, pass blocker and obviously a really good option in, in the receiving game. So it kind of just is going to matter on what, the Ravens think is the solution to their problem. Like I said, I still think they're going to need to generate explosives in the run game. So Williams is going to get touches, but yeah. he may never really like fully get into that where he's like their clear number one guy, just because it doesn't seem like he can fill some of the holes that those other guys can. I mean, the pass protection thing you said, it, like it scares me to hear that because I think in he, the, he in, gave up one sack to like, Williams. Did. Yeah. In, in overtime, like the, the last play the Ravens had, I think, didn't Williams basically like whiff on an attempted um, block that that led to the sack that then gave the Raiders the ball back? I mean, it's one yep. play, but like Williams didn't <laughs> seem to really know where the rush was coming from. That sort of thing makes me scary because that's it's a lot harder to evaluate that sort of thing with a running back when, again, like Williams looked explosive. He was catching the ball fine. Like he looks like the type of player that just in terms of his touches would be efficient, but the Ravens may not, may need more from their running back than, than Williams can give them on their own. And I think maybe that's what we think is capping him at, say, like a mid-tier RB2 type of value. Whereas, I mean, once all of the primary Ravens running backs went down, you kind of had like, oh, maybe this is going to be an RB1 in your mind, right? Yeah, I think – I think last night was was kind of a good like uh, game for tempering the expectations on what yeah. we might get from him. Like I think we've both been saying he can still probably be a valuable player, and if you can get him at decent value, you should. Um, but you know, like I think we're both saying probably not a guy we should expect to get you know twenty carries consistently and really carry the load of this offense. Well, speaking of great pass protection, our third player, another running back, is Jamal Williams, now of the Lions. I mean, I've seen all kinds of stats that suggest that he may be the best pass protecting running back in the league. And so I think that explains a lot of why new head coach Dan Campbell, who loves to bite kneecaps, maybe wanted Williams (laughs) as part of his team, even though the second year DeAndre Swift is like the more explosive player, the more versatile player, that sort of thing. What really surprised me in this week's game, though, is that after the Lions fell behind, you figured they would be, you know, passing all the time. Maybe Williams would be into block exclusively, or maybe Swift would be the one running out and catching passes. He was healthy when people didn't expect it, but Williams got in there and had eight catches for 56 yards on nine targets. In addition to his nine carries and 54 yards. And now I'm wondering whether he might be a flex worthy player in his own right, even with Swift going nuts. I recommended a 31% fab expenditure, Derek. What do you think here with Williams? I mean, I think that's fair because I think he's going to continue to get, um, he's going to continue to get playing time basically for the reasons that you said, like he's a fantastic pass blocker and that's going to always endear you to coaches, especially kind of with the way that Dan Campbell seems to want to be running that team. Um, And and I think Williams is also just a better runner kind of between the tackles. He's a guy who's going to consistently grind out the three, four, five yard um, type of stuff. Whereas, you know, Swift is a little bit more dynamic in space. Um, I think with the pass catching stuff, I'll, you know, I'm not Jared Goff's biggest fan, but I'll credit to him. Like he, he did a better job at just, not completely panicking and getting to his running backs um, than I thought he might. And Williams isn't the most dynamic pass catcher, but he yeah. can at least kind of do the stuff underneath and, you know, get you those six yards at a time where you can at least get to the next down. Um, you can trust him to do that. And I think that with his pass blocking, with his adequate stuff, you know, running between the tackles with inside stuff, I think he just brings such a higher floor to the position than than Swift kind of does right now, especially with Swift battling some injury that I think he's going to continue to get work at least, you know, for the next few weeks until I think they're really settled on, on Swift's health. 
Well, researching the article, I was really surprised to find that Williams had a 10.5% target share last year with the Packers. That was 25th highest among running backs. Uh, and that's not, it's not about like him playing in every game. That's like a percentage of healthy games there. So like Williams was a lot more a part of the receiving game in green Bay than I think many would have expected uh, yesterday or Sunday, whenever it was 15.8% target share was, was top 10 at the position. I don't know if that's going to continue. Swift did almost double his playing time, 68% versus 35% of offensive snaps, but it does seem like Williams is going to be like a dual type of contributor. He actually never had more than nine targets in four years with the Packers off to a really good start with the nine targets this week. I think, I think Williams is a flex option. I really do. Yeah. And I, you know, like, I don't know. I think with pass catchers at running backs, sometimes we forget about the guys who don't do some of the sexy stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we have a guy on here later, I think Naheem Hines, who I think is a fantastic football player, but we know him as a pass catcher because he'll do the stuff where he flexes out, you know, into the slot or yeah. out, you know, to the boundary and stuff like that. Or he'll, he'll run some cool routes or, you know, Kareem Hunt, for example, was doing the stuff, getting up the seam. Like we remember running backs that do cool stuff in the running game like that. Jamal Williams doesn't really do anything cool. He just does the the consistent safe stuff really, really well. Dare I say the kneecap biting stuff? He does. He does <laughs> yeah, really exactly. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Dan Campbell. I'm sorry. Like I could go on a huge tangent about him, but that may not be the the best use of our fantasy watchers' times. So I'll just keep the ball ro- um, rolling here. Our fourth waiver player, another running back, definitely waited early towards the running backs because a few of these guys kind of popped with roles we didn't expect. And because in a typical league, I mean, you just can't find these guys, which is why I have Mark Ingram of the Texans as a 25% fab recommendation, even though he's part of what looks like potentially a four back running back committee here. Am I getting a little bit out of control? He did have 26 carries in week one. You know, my concern with him is not so much um, the the way that they're going to split up these carries uh, mm-hmm. on touches and stuff. I think it's just this offensive line is bad you know he got a ton of carries but I think he only he only got like 3.8 yards per attempt and this is a not very good Jacksonville defensive line Uh, shocking to to hear that honestly (laughs) yeah I mean like Jihad Ward in in particular like they just beat the hell out of him and they were still only getting like you know three and a half four five yards of carry so um and and, you know I think Ingram at this point in his career is not a guy who's going to really generate explosives on his own um, so I, my worry would just be that when they run into some more competent defensive fronts that they're really not going to be able to get very much going. And I think they're probably going to have to lean onto the pass a little bit more, which I think is yeah. not really going to be where Ingram is going to get his touches. Um, and they, they really might start leaning on Lindsay a little bit more if they get into a panic, because obviously Lindsay is much more explosive runner, especially if you can get him outside. So, you know, I, I really think the volume is going to be there with Ingram. So if you want to bet on that, fine, but I would probably lean to the side of, of not being as excited to to buy Ingram right now. You know, at first I thought this might've just been a 100% garbage time type of performance, but I actually looked and he had a higher percentage of the team's carries when the, when the game was within two touchdowns than after that fact. So it really isn't that per se, but there is still a pretty significant split uh, here. So as mentioned, 26 total carries, that was second most of the week, but the 63.4% carry share was just 11th highest at the position. And to give you some context of what that can mean from a fantasy perspective, I was just behind Leonard Fournette with 64.3%. So like, it's not that weird to see a player getting that kind of workload and not actually being that great of a fantasy player when he's not doing the other stuff, not catching the passes, not, you know, not contributing in other ways. And, and Ingram had just one target, versus one for Lindsay, um, four for, for David Johnson and two for Rex Burkhead. So that, I mean, that's kind of, that's pretty split. He also only played 46% of the offensive snaps. So like 
I don't think there's really any way he's going to be an RB2 in any type of like PPR related format, but even in your standard formats, I'm just not sure it's going to all be there when the Texans aren't, you know, dominating their future competition, which I dare say they probably won't be, right? It, exactly. Like it, it was cool that they got a win when, you know, I think a lot of us wouldn't have been that shocked if they didn't get one for the entire year. Um, but yeah, that, that Jaguars team looked really incompetent, especially on defense. It seemed like they were just a handful of concepts, especially in the passing game that they looked like they'd never seen before <laughs> as yeah. an NFL team. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, I think once they run into some more competent defenses, uh, they might have to start leaning on some different things. So like, what are your thoughts specifically on the 25% fab recommendation here? Like, do you think that's too high for him? Like, would you honestly avoid everybody in this backfield? Cause that's kind of what I'm feeling like with the jets who like, Honestly, it may not be that different a situation. It's just that the Texans happen to play a worse team in week one and look good because of it. I would probably lean on avoiding them. And the reason is it seems like, you know, I was actually really impressed with what they did on offense overall. Um, yeah. But what I would say is that they did, they had like a very clear idea of what they wanted with every single player and they weren't going to try to box guys into stuff that they couldn't do. And I don't yeah. think that they were going to force extra touches just for the sake of getting a guy the ball. And so I think moving forward, you know, Ingram's, you know, volume is not really going to in- increase at all. And like I said, I really don't trust the offensive line at all to, to continue blocking any better. So, yeah. All right. We're going to drop a little bit uh, more significantly here in my fab recommendations, but I actually think we're getting toward the more interesting players, the receivers and other players that I think there's, there's more in, in line here with roles and skills that are interesting than just the, Oh, you need running backs so badly in fantasy. We're starting with Jacoby Myers wide receiver for the Patriots. I'm recommending a 13% fab bid. I think there was a lot of fear over the summer after the Patriots added their two expensive tight ends. You get John Smith and Hunter Henry on over 50 million guaranteed dollars. They also pray play pretty significant money for Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne at wide receiver. And suddenly like it was totally unclear where, where Myers stood in this pecking order, but week one, pretty good. Six catches, 44 yards on nine targets. He led the team there by two. And it just looks like the transition from Cam Newton to Mac Jones is going to lead to a lot more pass attempts and a lot more catchable targets for guys like Myers. What do you think on that 13% recommendation? You know, I think 13% is fine um, because that's kind of saying like, you know, if you can get him cool and if you can't, then whatever. I think he's yeah. probably, the volume is probably going to stay consistent-ish. I think actually in that game, they might've thrown a little bit more than they're going to want to moving forward. They're probably going to yeah. want to run the ball a little bit more, but I think just as far as like, you know, I think a way that this, uh, the receiver course specifically is set up, like Myers is the guy to be their short to intermediate Um you know, mm-hmm. possession guy. I think Aglor didn't maybe show it this week, but is it can be a little bit more of a burner and is maybe going to be the guy they're going to try to get down the field a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think Myers does feel like a fill a very specific role for them at wide receiver. Um, so, you know, like I said, I think the 13% is probably about right. It's kind of the, you know, if you can get him cool and if you can't, that's fine. Cause you know, I think he's a good player, but the explosives, probably just aren't going to be there. You know, he, he's a solid yak guy for like getting, you know, the extra two or three yards or whatever, but I just don't think he's a guy who's ever going to break away from anybody. So um, yeah. that, that would kind of be my concern with him. Well, see, it's interesting because we, I was working on a preseason article and, and it kind of came to light that Kendrick Bourne and Myers have some overlapping tendencies and how they both both might be good fits running from the slot, even if the, there may be some slightly different skill sets there. And so I was really happy for Myers to see that he he ran 99% of offensive snaps 
while Bourne was down at 44%. Aguilar was at 85%, by the way. As expected, it was frequent, you know, two tight end personnel here, both Smith and Henry over 70%. But like Myers was always on the field. And when he was always on the field last year, that led to a ton of targets. He became a starter in week eight. And from then to week 17, he had the third highest target share among all wide receivers in football at 30.1%. Devontae Adams was at 34.1%. Stephon Diggs at 30.5%. So like that's kind of the, the neighborhood of target share we're talking about just maybe not that level of production because there may not be the touchdowns. Again, as you mentioned, even with Mac Jones, the Patriots may lean a little bit more heavily on the run, but like you're talking in the PPR league, this could be a really valuable player. I think that's actually a great point. I think if you're playing PPR specifically, he's probably a lot more valuable for you and you might want to tick up how much you're spending on him. Um, But I would say in a normal league, I would be a little bit less excited just because like, you know, I think we both said the explosives just, He's not going to create him, and that's fine. He's a good player, but that's just not how he's, you know, going to get his work. Do we have time for a little Mac Jones interlude? I was just curious what your thoughts sure. were on the rookie quarterback, maybe compared to what you thought of him pre-draft. Um, you know, I thought he, I thought he looked great. I think, you know, the, the positives that we saw from him were there. I think um, he was incredibly accurate. I, I yeah. mean, just he had a couple of touch passes that were just phenomenal, and he even had like a swing pass that he led like. You, you could not have hit a guy in stride any better than that. So I thought that stuff was beautiful. Um, I thought he was really good at making decisions. Didn't really make, he had the one like where he got frazzled on like a pressure and threw a, mm-hmm. like a screen back behind himself. And th- that play was pretty bad. But other than that, I thought he handled pressure really well and did really good job to, you know, consistently um, make the right decisions, get the ball out where it needs to be on time, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that's the player we all thought he was going to be. I didn't think he'd be that good at it week one. Um, but that's kind of that. The only concern is obviously the arm strength. He had a couple of throws where it was like, if he could get a couple more miles an hour on it, it would have been complete. But I actually think it wasn't as hindering to his overall, you know, game and efficiency as as it could have been coming out of the draft. So I'm actually pretty excited with him from what I saw week one. And it sounds like good enough to enable players on the Patriots to to excel in fantasy, even if he himself may not be a huge fantasy asset without much wheels. Um, he can maybe prop some of these guys up, which is, I think fantasy players love to see that, uh, have some options from the Patriots offense. Uh, let me take a quick break to mention that, you know, we are live at every, uh, every day of the week during the season, 1 PM Eastern time on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders catch us there. And if, if you miss that, you can't make that. We're also on the football outsiders podcast network and we're on YouTube after the fact as well. So you can find all of that at football outsiders. Also mention football outsiders plus is a great tool. You can catch all of my weekly projections and other weekly uh, football outsiders plus uh, projection tools. Like we do stuff with player research that lets you kind of dig into things and find some interesting splits that I think you'll find really interesting. So check that out. It's not very expensive. I think well worth your effort and time there. But popping back into some of the waiver additions this week, we're getting a little bit further down the line, but another running back here to mention Naeem Hines of the Colts. You kind of already pointed him out, Derek, as a player that, you know, we've kind of pigeonholed into a specific role. But I was kind of worried about Hines' value this season, even in PPR formats, because even though he's a very good receiver and even though he got paid like a very good receiver just a week or two ago, Philip Rivers, I mean, has sort of a rep as throwing tons of passes to his running backs, which I think last year it was 24.5%. I think that was the... Yeah, it was like the fifth highest among 36 quarterbacks with 200 or more attempts. That was not Wentz's game until week one this year, but it was this week. Is that something we can expect to continue and something that would then prop up Hines from a fantasy perspective? You know, I I love Hines on the football field. I wouldn't love him in my lineup. 
Um, I think he, he really adds so much versatility to an offense and you can get defenses to line up certain ways. But I kind of think the volume that he got this week was a, a little bit fool's gold. Okay. Um, one, because like you mentioned, Wentz traditionally has not really been a guy who's going to you know get to the checkdowns and target his running backs very often. And he did this week. But I, I think if we're trying to extrapolate based off of what his the rest of his career has been, I think it's probably pretty tough to assume that he's going to you know keep doing that. Um, the Colts also didn't have T.Y. Hilton this week. Um, which I think, you know, once he's back, they're going to want to just open the offense up a little bit more. So I think it's kind of a case where Hines just, you know, got a little bit of a lucky performance from Wentz in the in the sense of where he was targeting. And also that's just kind of what the offense had to do with Hilton out of the lineup. So, I mean, I don't know. I think Hines is an awesome player, um, but I wouldn't be too, too excited about picking him up, I think. Yeah, thanks thanks for S. Vanderpool on Twitch for throwing the kapow there. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> So Wentz this week, 37.1 or 37.5% running back target percentage, the, the highest among quarterbacks. Like, do you buy into any of the, this is kind of what needed to get fixed with him. Whereas like last year he was trying to make the hero play every play and it just wasn't working. Like, is, is this something that Frank Reich could be orchestrating as a way to sort of revive Wentz's career? I do think that's part of the fix um, yeah. would be to get him to just say like, Hey man, you can trust the offense. You know, Frank Reich is a really smart offensive uh, offensive mind. So I think that was part of the problem. Like you were mentioning in Philly, like Wentz just felt like he had to be the hero. He didn't trust the offense yeah. didn't trust the offensive line. Um, so I think if you can get him to dial back, you know, I think 2018, he actually did really good job at that. This was after his, you know, quote MVP year. Yeah. Um, I thought in 2018, he actually did a little bit better of job of just scaling himself back, being like, okay, I can trust the offense, take the check down. It obviously unraveled in the years after that, but I think getting Wentz kind of back to that would be ideal. And we saw it a little bit in week one, but like I said, I think the overall track record for him in that regard is, is a little bit rough. And I think if the Colts start to lose a few more games and things don't really go their way for the next few weeks, which yeah. might be the case with some of the injuries they've had, I think we're going to see Wentz just start to revert because um, that, that's what quarterbacks do when they get into into tough situations. They revert back to bad habits. That's just how it goes. You know, Ben Solak um, of the Ringer mentions that all the time. Like guys play a certain way and they're going to revert back to it when, <laughs> when they feel like they're they're in a, in, in a pickle. So yeah. I think that would probably be my concern with Wentz um, and Wentz with Hines. So, yeah. And it was always a little counterintuitive to me. So, I mean, the Eagles had the number one pressure rate on offense in football last year, obviously with all the offensive line injuries they suffered, you would think that would be the time that a quarterback would check down to his running backs, you know, 24 seven, the Colts were like the number two or three offensive pressure team. So you would feel like if their if their offensive line kind of gets healthy and gets together, that may not help the running back target rates, but maybe more important than all of that too is like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Hines did well week one, nine carries, uh, six catches on eight targets. Um, but Jonathan Taylor had 17 carries and six catches on seven targets of his own. So it's like, you know, is Hines getting enough percentage of the receiving work among his running backs even to make a difference? I mean, you may be right. I mean, that's why I was pitching the lower 11% fab rate. Whereas in PPR, like maybe you can get five catches a week and maybe that's enough to kind of buoy you in, in your deeper formats. But this is still a Jonathan Taylor show. And if Wentz kind of moves back toward his traditional way of, of throwing downfield, throwing his wide receivers, there really may not much be much here from a fantasy perspective, right? I mean, I think the Taylor point is great because it's not like Hines is the only guy that they're mm -hmm. they're getting receptions to out of the running back room. They, they clearly trust Taylor now to 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 pick up some of that stuff. It might only be in the same way that, you know, I mentioned with Jamal Williams where he's not doing anything flashy, but I think that that's totally fine, especially if Wentz, 
you know, is, is maybe trusting him a little bit more. And I think, you know, Reich is maybe trusting to keep him in, in those situations a little bit more. So um, I think, you know, like you mentioned, just the fact that it seems like it's a little bit tighter in, in their, you know, receiving race for, for the running backs. I think it's probably a little bit cost for concern for Heinz as a fantasy producer as well. Yeah. So next up, head into the New York Giants, where they brought in a lot of free agents this offseason, Kenny Galladay. They also added the, the rookie, Kadarius Tony, who we've talked about and maybe been a little bit skeptical about before uh, talking together on, on, on this show. But uh, it was kind of business as usual in week one with Sterling Shepard, led the team with nine targets, had seven, seven catches, 113 yards and a touchdown. Kadarius Tony had just two touches and negative two yards on the day. So like Entering the year, it looks like more of a gadget player. Shepard also led all skill players with a 95% offensive snap share. So, like, I'm here saying that Shepard is kind of what he's always been. Whether or not that's valuable for you in fantasy may depend a little bit on your format, but he did average 13.5 PPR points per game last year, 34th at the position, which in a lot of leagues would make him a good flex option. That's why I recommended sort of a modest 6% fab bid. What are your thoughts, Derek? Do you think this is a one-week sort of blip, or do you think Shepard is kind of what he has been despite the additions for the team? I mean, I think I'd honestly probably go higher um, just because, you know, they added Tony, but I I really don't think he (laughs) he has it in year one. I I mean, the whole thing with with him at Florida was he just, like, didn't fully get what they were doing until it was, like, you know, Dan Mullen's second or third year there, and he finally kind of got it enough um, to where he could just be, like, a really good gadget guy for them. Um, and play underneath. But like, I think in year one with Tony, you're just not going to get a guy who is a consistent route runner. You're going to have to do a lot of gadget plays. And I really just don't think one that Jason Garrett wants to be doing that, Um, especially with the other receivers they have, like that's a good three receiver core that they have that they can just turn to that. They don't really need Tony to be that right now. Um, And I also just don't trust Jason Garrett to do that. Well, you know, he's not Kyle Shanahan or whatever with Debo Samuel. I just don't think he's going to do that very consistently. So I think, Sterling Shepard is a guy who I think can can probably still pretty consistently get targets in this offense um, just because he's probably, I think, their smoothest route runner right now. He's probably their best short to intermediate guy. You know, Kenny, Kenny Galladay is obviously really good on the outside. Darius Slayton is really good um, getting deep. But I think that's kind of the beauty with this receiving core, actually, is that they all really complement each other well. And I think there's a very clear role that Sterling Shepard can, can fit and continue to fit moving forward. That's kind of what worries me from a fantasy perspective, though, because, I mean, you're, you're kind of looking for the more, if not all around options, the guys that are the more primary options within their offense. And it, it seems to me like Shepard plays a role, but one with like a pretty limited ceiling. And part of that might have been just who the Giants were missing this week, like beyond even Tony and whether he can he can end up doing more down the line for the team. But like Evan Ingram was out this week, but I think there's some thoughts that he can be back for week two or maybe week three. Um Without him, they had Kyle Rudolph playing 77% of snaps. They had Caden Smith playing 48% of snaps. I mean, those guys really aren't going to be a big part of the passing game, but Evan Ingram probably will. Plus, Saquon Barkley, I think we all probably expected he might have a slower start to the season, but a really good receiving back despite his size. Like, will all of this just kind of chip away, chip away, chip away to the point where Shepard, maybe he gets, you know, six catches a week, but it's going to be more like 45 yards where it would have to be a deeper format for that really to make an impact for you in fantasy. Um, that, you know, that's probably a good point is that, um, you know, it, this might be more if you're a little bit more of like, a, I don't know, 12, 14 team league rather yeah, than yeah. like an eight or a 10, something like that. Um, I think that's a really good point, but I still think that the, the floor is just so high for him because of what mm-hmm. he provides. Like I said, I think he's probably the guy who most consistently gets open in that offense. Um, 
and, and so that would that would kind of be um, why I'm a little bit in on him. I also just think like the second year in an offense is, is going to help everyone. Maybe not the offensive line, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you know the passing game. They might have a few more of these games where they they really get guys clicking. I think you know just like I said, with his consistently as he can get open, he has pretty good hands. I think he's going to be a guy who has a pretty high floor and then you might get a couple of weeks like this, like he did against Denver. I mean, the one play where he had, where he broke Patrick Sertan off, um, yeah. broke him off on the crosser, caught it on the sideline and then broke the tackle and, and took off. Like he still has those plays in him. Maybe not as much as, as we were hoping coming out of, out of college, but I mean, I still think that you can get those weeks out of him. So I think fantasy managers would have expected Shepard to be more consistent week to week than Darius Slayton. Again, like totally different styles of players. Slayton going downfield is going to kind of boom and bust the way that Marquez Valdez Scantling traditionally has, but like, do you think Shepard actually might be more consistent and maybe more playable in fantasy than Kenny Galladay? Because that's a player the team spent a lot of money on and seems like would have a higher touchdown ceiling. But I don't know. He's been very inconsistent. Obviously missed a lot of last year with hamstring issues and such. Like, what are your thoughts comparing those two receivers from a fantasy perspective? You know, I, I think Galladay is still going to be fine. And I'm not sure that Sterling Shepard is more viable um, than him, but I, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying that, you know, Shepard over Slayton might be fine just for the reason that like, if this offensive line is either not improved, which it doesn't look to be, or is worse, I think they're going to have a harder time getting to what they want with Slayton down the field. And that might just naturally kind of open up the, these quicker, you know, intermediate um, opportunities for Shepard. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, whereas, you know, Galladay, I think kind of fits a little bit into both for different reasons. So I, I think he'll probably still get his volume either way. Okay, next up, we have the biggest fantasy beneficiary of what was maybe the strangest week one result. That is Jameis Winston, who threw five touchdowns um, at home slash on the road in Jacksonville, whatever you want to call it, against the Packers and just like a total dismantling here. The thing that made it so weird was that with those five touchdowns, he needed just 20 total pass attempts and 14 completions to do it. Uh, Only ended up with 148 passing yards. I didn't really know how to make sense of this. Plus, quarterbacks are always a little bit tough in fantasy to recommend fab bits for because in a lot of leagues, even a very good quarterback just isn't going to really push the needle for you in fantasy over the other waiver wire options. But I recommended a 6% bid. Uh, So maybe, Derek, talk about that, but maybe more generally talk about what your thoughts are with Winston in this Saints offense. Like, is he going to be an effective player? Is he going to turn the ball over? Like, what are your thoughts? I think it's legit, man. You know, in our staff picks – you know, we had to pick a player that we thought could outperform their their Kubiak projections. Mm-hmm. And I picked Winston. I mean, yeah. I think he just getting another year in the Sean Payton offense, I think is going to do wonders for him. Um, I think he was always kind of a better player than people gave him credit for. Um, you know, obviously he was really volatile in terms of the turnovers, but I sure. think if you can just get him to tone that down, you know, just a little bit, um, which it seems like they did in this game, it's obviously not going to look like this moving forward. I think he only yeah. got maybe sacked once and obviously didn't throw any picks like, that's not going to happen every week. He's going to have these, these rough plays, but I think all the explosives are still going to be there. And I think what's so fascinating to me and why I'm still really encouraged on this is like, there really might only be two or three other offensive minds in the league that can consistently get guys open exactly where you want them to be the way that Sean Payton can. I mean, that guy just really understands how to get every guy open um, just on any different concept. And I think Jameis Winston has always been a guy who, almost to a fault, really, really trust what he sees pre-snap. And if he gets the one thing that he's going to, you know, the one post-snap key that he thinks he has, he's just going to instantly trigger on it. And if you have an offensive mind who is consistently 
you know, having these guys open, I, I think Winston is really the perfect guy to, um, you know, consistently take advantage of that. So, like I said, it's probably going to be a little bit more volatile moving forward. But I think the Jameis Winston offense is, is absolutely, absolutely legit. They might not have, you know, I think especially once they maybe get Michael Thomas back, that that could help. But like, you know, I think, like I said, I think I really just trust um, Sean Payton, especially and Winston to be good enough for him to, to be at or better than what his fab value is right now. So the offensive mind angle, I find really, really interesting because while a lot of guys in football outsiders, Aaron Schatz included, have been banging the drums of, you know, like he only threw 30 interceptions that one year. Like normally it was 16 to 20, which is a lot, but it's like not a team killing amount. But the thing that I don't think get, got talked about enough was the fact that that was the Bruce Arians overlap year with Winston in Tampa Bay. And it just seemed like that he and Arians were just not a good fit in terms of offensive scheme in his efforts to push the ball down the field. Again, with what you're mentioning about Winston and his ability to sort of adapt to what he's seeing on his reads. That year in 2019 in Tampa, he had a 10.4 yard average depth of target. That was the second highest among all quarterbacks with 200 or more attempts. In week one, it was 4.7 yards. Again, like you said, it's not going to be like that every week. A lot of that was circumstantial with the Packers giving them short fields and stuff. But like with, with Sean Payton, I think coaching him toward a more conservative offense, I think that can do wonders for his like, you know, his protecting of the football. Not only that too, I think the, the pass protection is a huge part of this too, because that 2019 Bucks team allowed pressure on 29% of dropbacks. The Saints last year were at 19.4%. I mean, it's almost half. So like, it's so much more favorable a situation for Winston to have success. Plus you have the flukiness of the interceptions anyway. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to think that this may be the case too, that he has the chance to be very good this season and actually like a worthwhile fantasy option. Absolutely. And, and like, that Saints offensive line is good, man. So good. And like, I mean, they, they mauled in week one. Yeah, they were just <laughs> crushing people, didn't didn't really allow any pressures. I mean, they just looked fantastic. Um, and, you know, I think the point about the, the Arians offense is interesting and good because, like, you know, I love the Arians offense. I love what they do, but I think it's probably better for quarterbacks who aren't hyper aggressive and then maybe mm. pushing them up a little bit more. Whereas like Winston was already over the line and then Arians yeah. is just going to kind of keep you going. And I think that that might've been a problem for them. And I think people also need to remember like before Arians, they had Dirk Cutter calling plays and Dirk Cutter, frankly, sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they run like kind of the Arians-ish aggressive style of, of, of play where they're going to do a lot of drop back that's really vertical and stuff like that. I think it was just a, a worse version of that. And so I think that again, also kind of leaned into Winston being that way. So I, I think like you mentioned with, with, Peyton being able to dial back the offense and dial back Winston a little bit more on top of how efficient everything can be, um, especially with all their pass protection. I think it's, this is really just such a good situation for Winston to, to cut down on the bad plays and still keep up all the explosive stuff. I mean, Winston was already set up for public criticism by the fact that Tom Brady is just a lot better than him. So he was going to do better in any offense that he was going to do. <laughs> right. Like, how is he supposed to, to match but then, like, that? Like, it's, it's, it's worse because, like you said, like Winston was a terrible fit for Arians and Brady may be the perfect fit. Because, again, he, it's a guy that maybe a little bit more naturally is conservative and is going to know better when to take those shots down the field. Like we saw it play out. But I think that Winston really can bounce back with, you know, a coach that maybe better fits him from like what, what they can do together. And I'm very excited. I mean, it, it, may, it may mean a little less in fantasy than some of these chalky running back guys, but um, that may be the kind of margin that you need to, to win your league. I think quarterbacks are very like streamable in fantasy too. So like in the right matchups, Winston is definitely going to be a good option for you in fantasy this year. 
All right, next up, we're going to pivot to a former Saint and now Los Angeles Charger, tight end Jared Cook, um, who is 34 years old, by the way, one year younger than me here. Um, But I'm still recommending as a 3% fat expenditure, Derek. Like, am I just, you know, too much in the bank of a mid 30 year old guy here? Do you think Cook has a chance to actually do something this year? I mean, I would probably lean to maybe just right for this. Um, I I really don't feel too strongly about this either way. I think Mm -hmm. what I would say on a positive side is that I think Cook does fill a very specific role for them. I think he's a really good horizontal field stretcher um, from the tight end position. That offense kind of lacks speed, especially with the way that they cut um, Tyron Johnson. Like they they really can get value out of a guy who who can stretch fields in in particular matchups, you know, against tight ends and safeties and stuff like that. So, and he did have a couple of uh, targets on like really important downs. You know, I think they hit Cook on like a corner route on like a third and God knows how long. And then they <laughs> they targeted him, you know, right after that and Herbert threw a pick. But like it, it's clear that they he still has a role in this offense. Um, my concern would just be that like I think they still have a lot of other guys who are also just good, um, yes. even if he does fill a particular role. So I think he's going to be a guy who is probably really hit or miss in his production and maybe not a guy who is as high a floor. Um, So it's kind of just if you're willing to take that gamble. I mean, that's kind of the existence of tight ends in fantasy though, Derek. So like Mm -hmm, that's that's kind of the reason that this makes sense to me. Cause like, you're right. He's, this isn't like a Tyree kill out there or um, a Travis Kelsey out there. Um, Even in week one, his 70% target share was 11th best at the position last year. He was 24th at the position with a 12.4% share. So like, that really may be more the range you're expecting to see with guys like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams being so good. Even Josh Palmer, the rookie, I think people are really mm-hmm. excited about this season. So like there are other guys in this And they offense. like to throw to their backs too. Like they just yeah. have so many other ways to spread the ball. Yeah. I think Justin Herbert actually had a higher running back target rate last year than Phillip Rivers did. So like he it, was it, checking it down. He really was. In my face <laughs> as, a, as a guy always talking rivers that way. But, uh, one of the things, I mean, I just think that that offense is really good. I think Justin Herbert may be on the ascent. We mentioned a lot on this show and others that the year two quarterback jump is very real. That tends to be when you see the biggest improvements from a quarterback in his career. And so it just feels like there's a lot there where I think people thought he was leaving the Saints and that was kind of it. But this may be a more explosive offense and a better offense for him than, than what he had last season. And then the main point that I'll make here, and this is kind of hammered home by the fact that Antonio Gates used to be a charger here, but like the size doesn't really get old, you know, like he's always going to be a really good red zone threat. And we saw that last year, despite the limited targets, like if you look on a per target basis, he had eight expected touchdowns last year per 100 targets. That's just below the elite tier of guys. Like Gronk was at 10.8. Jimmy Graham was at 10.5. Robert Tanya 9.0. So like kind of just shy of that to the point where I'm like, is eight touchdowns out of the room a possibility? I don't think so. So like, that's why I think that he has a chance to be a back end tight end one in fantasy. Not so much that he's going to have that type of target share, but the offense could be good and he could be scoring touchdowns because of it. Yeah. I mean, my only um, reservation there would maybe be that, um, you know, I think what, I think Joe Lombardi is good, but he is not quite Sean Payton. (laughs) Um, So that would kind of be my concern with some of the red zone stuff. Um, I think, you know, Justin Herbert's also just a guy, I think it, particularly with Mike Williams there, um, they kind of already have a guy who is also really good at red zone stuff. So that True. would kind of be my, you know, conundrum with that. I mean, not when Herbert throws 55 touchdowns this year, but yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, I guess if he throws <laughs> enough of them, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> All right. Let, let's keep talking tight ends, but let's circle back to the saints. I would have had these in order, but I'm trying to do these in terms of my recommended fab expenditures. And I have actually Adam Troutman as a 2% fab recommendation, not Juwan Johnson, the tight end that scored two touchdowns for the saints last week. 
And I've gone back and forth on this. I kind of started thinking that Johnson was going to be a recommendation. I'd actually heard a lot in the offseason that Johnson, the converted wide receiver, was taking more of the Jared Cook role with the offense. And so I was like, huh, that's a little bit intriguing. But then the more I actually looked at the stats for this week, the more I decided that Troutman was probably the player to recommend. He had six targets. Johnson only had three. He played 82% of offensive snaps. Johnson played just 19%. So pretty huge disparity there. Derek, can you maybe help me figure out what the way to go is with the Saints tight ends? You know, I, I really like Adam Troutman, but I think it's kind of in a situation where, you know, kind of what I had with Ingram and the Texans is that like, I think the Saints do such a good job of understanding exactly what each player is good at and why and how they should be used. And I don't think they're going to force Troutman um, like, I don't think they're going to design a whole lot of um, targets for Troutman, especially like down the field. I think he's very much a guy who is like a valuable blocker. He's a guy who they're going to have in um, for a lot of their, you know, if they just have one tight end to block, it's Mm -hmm. going to be him. If they have two, he's going to be one of them. Um, And I think a lot of his targets are going to be more a lot in the underneath area. I think you saw a lot of, um, you know, where he was just sitting over the ball where he was check releasing, you know, Winston hit him on one of those. So I think that's really all you're ever going to get from him as a receiver. I don't really think he's going to be explosive. Whereas I think, um, their other tight ends, you know, obviously, uh, Juwan Johnson is probably to me, I think going to be a little bit more explosive, going to maybe be a little bit more guy that they want to target in the red zone. I think we saw that, um, yeah. just this past week. Um, the problem is just like you mentioned with Johnson, I think that's still a tough bet too, just because overall he's not going to get the volume of snaps. He's going to be a guy who they use very, very situationally. And I think betting on a guy who is that situational is, is probably rough. Um, like I said, I, I like Troutman. I think he's, you know, a true Y tight end in the NFL, and I think they use him well, um, but not in a way that is very good for your fantasy lineup. Yeah, fair. So, like, Michael Thomas is out, but he'll be back eventually, and he'll probably mm-hmm. be a fantasy option when he is. That, Kamara, that's a good point, too. Alvin yeah. Kamara, obviously a tremendous fantasy option. Is there anybody else in this offense that we should be looking at, if not the tight ends? Like, I guess Marquez Callaway popped in the preseason, had those two touchdowns. Um, and I think the third preseason game when Winston won the job, but like, is he going to be a big part of this offense? Like even he in week one didn't do much, but again, this was such a weird lopsided victory that I don't know what conclusions you can really safely draw here. The the argument for Callaway would definitely just be like in future weeks, they're probably going to have to target down the field a little bit more and, and Callaway is going to be better for that. Um, obviously this week they just ran the ball a ton and were able to, to kill the Packers, you know, six yards at a time. Um, but to me, I think, if there were another guy, I would maybe be interested in this offense. It would be Tony Jones Jr., the backup running back, okay. just because I think they want to be an offense that runs a lot and then sets up Winston to do you know a lot of the stuff off of play action and stuff like that. But even then, I probably wouldn't be too excited because we all know Kamara is going to get a bulk yeah. of the carries unless you know he gets hurt or something. That's good intel for me there because like Jones was somebody that I thought about maybe including as one of the last guys in my waiver column. I ended up not doing it, but I'll definitely keep an eye on him going forward. Okay, we got a couple more guys to hit in the episode, but I'll mention again, every day of the week, Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time um, on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. They'll either have me, sometimes with Derek, sometimes with another guest. They'll have Aaron or Mike or somebody doing a a Football Outsiders-related show on twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders. Check that out. Check us out after the fact on YouTube and the Football Outsiders podcast network. Uh, Derek, let's close this out with a couple more guys. Circling back to the Patriots wide receiver groups, I threw Nelson Aguilar in here as a 1% fab option. As mentioned, Myers played more 99% versus 85% of the offensive snaps. 
but you kind of brought up Aguilar having a little bit of a weird role in week one. I actually looked at that as an encouraging sign that four of his eight targets were behind the line of scrimmage. Last year, he had just three targets behind the line of scrimmage. And I think that led to more of the like boomer bust nature where even though he ended up scoring a pretty good number, maybe like eight touchdowns last season, he was hard to pull the trigger on in fantasy because you, you didn't trust that the floor was high enough, but with a different type of role in this offense, could the floor be high enough to maybe make him a worthwhile fantasy option? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually a lot higher on him as, as a fantasy option than, than Myers. Um, you know, I think they both serve very distinct roles, but I think kind of like you mentioned with the Raiders last year, he really, you know, made his money by being a, a deep threat, by being a guy who yeah. kind of stretched the field. And Mac Jones is maybe not the, the best guy to take advantage of that. But I think in future weeks, as this offense develops as they really start to get comfortable they're going to want to try to open things up a little bit more and I think Aguilar is by far the best guy that they have that is suited for that so if we can assume that he's going to be the guy that is going to get a lot of those deeper targets Mm -hmm. and he is still probably a guy who they want to feature a little bit in the short to intermediate area you know I think he ran a couple of really good routes um, and still looked like a guy who could get consistently open in those areas Um, I, I think he has a pretty good chance to be, you know, maybe their leading receiver. Okay. Um, I, hmm. Yeah, I think he's just, you know, probably the guy who is best suited to do a little bit of everything for them. And like I've said before, I still think overall the offense needs some speed. But for now, he is the best guy that they have as a speed threat. And I think that's going to matter as we move forward. Okay, so it sounds like you actually think he's a better fantasy option than even Jacoby Myers, right? Yeah, I, I would think so. I think Myers might have a little bit higher of a floor, especially if you're in a PPR format just because you know Mac yeah. Jones is a guy who likes to, to play it a little bit safer sometimes um, and like I said Myers is a great possession guy but I think if you're looking to get a guy who can maybe give you a little bit higher of a ceiling and especially have some you know a couple of pop-off weeks I, I think Aguilar is, is probably the guy I'd be looking at. That actually does make a lot of sense so he did have seven targets just two behind Myers for the week but then obviously then popped five catches 72 mm-hmm. yards and the touchdown so like I was already expecting Aguilar to have more touchdowns than Myers this season but Guy, I mean, just I feel like Mac Jones being good like really opens a lot of options here. So maybe some some good steals from from both of these guys for you for your fantasy waiver wire. I think Mac Jones being yeah. you know looking good is huge too, especially because like you know I think probably maybe Aguilar's best play was like they hit him on like a a, a seam route down I think the left hash. Um, mm-hmm. Mac Jones maybe threw it a touch late, but it still got there. And and the fact that Mac Jones could show that he could make some of those those tough throws over the middle, um, you know on the on those vertical routes, I think bodes really well for Aguilar. Uh, moving forward, if they can get a little bit better at that sort of stuff. All right. We opened the episode talking about the Kyle Shanahan related confusion. We needed to close it talking about Kyle Shanahan's related confusion. I'm recommending Trent Sherfield, the wide receiver, formerly of the Cardinals for a 1% fab bid. So like not a huge expenditure here, but like maybe more surprising to me than the fact that Trey Sermon didn't suit up week one was that Kyle Shanahan kind of like, you know, didn't really rely on Brandon Ayuk very much. Ayuk played just 47% of offensive snaps versus 49% for Sherfield. Sherfield was the starter. It didn't really turn into a lot of like actual fantasy production, but another weird game where they were up huge early um, over the Lions and they were just kind of running all over them. But uh, Sherfield did end up with three targets, two for 23 and a touchdown. Ayuk did not have any targets. You know, Shanahan after the game said that like, you know, Sherfield earned his role with the team. Ayuk, you know, there's some questions about his professionalism or whatever that other stuff would be, but like, what do you make of this whole situation? And is it, does it such that actually would make Sherfield intriguing for you in fantasy? 
Um, I, I mean, one percent fab is such like a who cares that I I wouldn't blame anybody for <laughs> sure, for yeah. going for it. <laughs> um, but I'm not too excited about him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think at some point Ike is probably going to start getting a, a few more targets, even if I'm not actually very high on him as a player. Um, and I think like the the Sherfield touchdown, like, I, you know, you saw it. It was kind of like I, I, you know, I could be mistaken, but I think it was when they had Trey Lanson. Yeah, and he ran basically just like a you know you come in you you whip back out. Um, he was so open. I think literally anybody in that offense could have ran that route. So I'm not too excited about what he, he really provides for this offense. I know he can be a little bit of a deep threat. He showed that in the preseason, showed that I think with the Cardinals a few years back. But yeah. I'm just, you know, I think with, with Samuel looking as good as he did, um, you know, Kittle obviously being George Kittle yeah. um, and then probably wanting to lean on the running backs as much as they can. I just don't really see how the ceiling ever really gets there for Sherfield. I mean, I guess the logic would be, that Shanahan just does so much with scheme that it can kind of turn any player that is in a favorable role in the offense into an effective fantasy player. That probably mm-hmm. means more from a running back than it does a wide receiver. Right. But like, I don't know, like if you aren't high on Ayuk and Sherfield then could be potentially like a starter for the team, would the fantasy value not be there just based on the role? I mean, it might be, but I also think in future weeks, Sherfield would be their guy that they want to use down the field. But the thing is like that offense doesn't really target down the field very much, yeah. even if they're going to use a guy who's going to stretch it so they can open up stuff underneath. Yeah. Um, and I think Jimmy G is just not a good deep passer either. So I think even if he might get some opportunities in that way, I just think that this is like a particularly not very good, you know, quarterback coach mm-hmm. situation for him to, to um, make good on that. Yeah. And one other reason to maybe not panic on Ayuk was the fact that he had injured his hamstring later in the preseason. And then I think it had only been about a week since that recovery had happened. So I'm wondering if maybe that had played a role too. It can be really hard to sort of parse what Shanahan says and kind of make sense of what that could mean for fantasy perspective. But, you know, it intrigued me enough that I thought Sherfield was worth mentioning from a waiver wire perspective. But like, yeah, I think like you, I, I agree that he's after all of these other potential options, like both Patriots guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had Mike Williams higher on the list and stuff too. So like there are other wide receivers to go at here, but in your deeper formats, maybe Sherfield worth mentioning. Um, Derek, before I let you go, we have a, a Twitch question from Marl's from Marl's Chartel. Is that a Charles Martel joke from the replacements? I hope so. <laughs> he asks, um, did anyone mention anything about Christian Kirk? So Kirk wasn't a player that I listed as a waiver wire option for, for week two to me, like he played less of a role. I know, I think he scored, um, maybe twice, but he played less of a role in the offense with Rondale Moore being in the mix now. AJ Green outsnapped him and I think out targeted him too. But did you like what you saw from Kirk? Obviously, the Cardinals looked really, really good in beating the Titans. So maybe there are multiple receivers here that could be worthwhile for you in fantasy. I mean, I'll be completely honest. I haven't seen every single game yet. And that's one of the last ones that I have yet to get to. And I didn't catch very much of it on Sunday. What I will say is that I think simply getting Larry Fitzgerald out of the lineup is not only good for Kirk but it's good for the offense as a whole because he was just, I mean, he, he was dragging ass, man. Like, like Larry Fitzgerald was on his last, on his last like, leg. Let's be careful what we say about mid thirties guys right now, Derek. Just see, <laughs> look at your coast is we've, we've mentioned this already. Hey, I, I don't, I don't think anyone, anyone, uh, anyone in their mid thirties watching or hosting is, is uh, worried about their athleticism <laughs> to make their job work. So I think we're okay there. Um, but I think, you know, Larry Fitzgerald was just kind of, holding back the speed of that offense. And so when you have Rondell Moore, you get Kirk a little bit more touches, get him in the slot. Um, I think it just opens up everything. And I think if, if Murray's going to look as good as it seemed like he did um, that day, then then Kirk is probably going to get more touches and more opportunities 
not even really because he's any better of a player than he has been. I think it's just this, you know, things have kind of worked themselves out for this offense and for him. Okay, perfect. Derek, it was great having you. It's going to be great having you every Tuesday to help with these waiver wire um, opinions, giving your scouting perspective to help out the math nerd and me. Um, You have a ton going on this year, not just a football outsider. So why don't you let everybody know what all you have going on and where they can find it? Yeah, so I will still be doing, obviously, this show now every week, and then I'll have the film room at Football Outsiders, but I'm also doing, um, I'm doing for Bleacher Report, I'm doing their year-long, like, uh, NFL draft stuff, I'm doing all their front seven, so edge, defensive line, linebackers, that's going to be all me this year, Um, we have a great group of guys working on all the other stuff, so keep up with that, Um, we'll have, obviously, a lot more content after, you know, there's more than two weeks of college games to watch, Um, (laughs) and then over at Odds Checker, I'm also doing some, uh, some gambling stuff, you know, uh, lines, spreads, props, pretty much everything you can think of. Outstanding. Also follow Derek on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, Scott underscore Spratt. Uh, and then if you're watching live on, on FB, uh, twitch.tv slash FB Outsiders, thanks. And circle back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. I believe Aaron Schatz is doing a mailbag type of episode. Maybe wrong, but hit him with a ton of questions anyway. I'm sure he would love to read them and, and talk about them on the show. Uh, look for that and then circle back to us on Friday when we'll do our start and, shit, uh, start and sit show for, for week two. Very exciting to have football back. Thanks again, Derek. And thanks for all of our listeners.